thought of doing that. I know it's, we probably might have time to, to skate through it, but I think I'll just finish it off next week. Um, so we will continue in this unique style of, of the prophet Malachi as he has been writing this, this letter. And, and again, as we realize the fact that after this letter, the Lord goes silent for 400 years. And so he is just preparing these people for the promises that are ahead that most of them, if not all, any of them, are ever really going to see because a lot of these promises still have to do with future for us. Um, but, uh, but again, as, as the book of Malachi has been faithful to, to share with us these things that will be coming in, in, in the future, um, God will be faithful to finish off what he has promised even in the day of the Lord, as we will talk about today. Um, what, what I've kind of, what's kind of been interesting about the book of Malachi, it almost seems like we've been eavesdropping on this conversation that he has been having, this dialogue between God and the children of Israel. And that's the unique style of, of the book of Malachi in that God asks a question that's that's obvious to everyone, and yet it has fascinated me that either the children of Israel, which included the priests of Israel, were either playing dumb, claiming ignorance, that they didn't quite understand what God was hitting them up about, or they were truly that blind to what was really going on in their lives. And, and I don't know which is worse, the fact that someone would play ignorance or, or, or play dumb that, well, we didn't know, or they actually did not know. And again, the sad part is that these were the children of Israel. They were God's people. They were the priests of Israel. And so, um, again, it just kind of blows my mind that, that they are arguing with God in this way. Um, what... What I am, I guess what I'm looking at here is that sometimes as Christians, as believers, we kind of have that same kind of attitude that when God kind of challenges us on something, we kind of claim ignorance. And if you've been just a, 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 just a follower of, of the Lord, just in the most basic, simple way, some of the things that we might learn and know about that we often do claim ignorance and God's going, come on, you've learned this. And he never really kind of just nails us on it, except that he does it in such a subtle way that he just loves on us when we play ignorant. Um, there are certain things that we could be blind about. Um, I understand that as well. But sometimes our blindness is because, again, we have, we, we've, we've blinded ourselves with our own hands instead of not truly understanding what God is wanting to do. And so I think oftentimes when we, when we are walking with the Lord, we, we want to just ignore what God's Word says uh, because we just don't like it. And so that, that's kind of what I've, I've kind of been seeing here and and. and and when we're being, we've been studying this, this book of Malachi, it just, it just seems that he is so blunt with the children of Israel, and they, they've been having a hard time, but it's also been ministering to my heart as well. Um, 
Let's begin in, in chapter 3, verse 13. I'll read to the end of the chapter, and then we'll get into the first three verses of chapter 4, but I'll read that a little later. It says in verse 13, Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what or what have we spoken against you? You have said, it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinances? And what and and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts. So now we call the proud blessed, for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him. For those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his own sons, his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the, right, the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. When we look at verse 13, and again, oftentimes when I'm studying, I have all these translations that I'm looking at to just kind of get a, a, a fresher perspective of, of kind of what, what is being said. And so some of the other translations, I, I want to read verse 13 or the first part of verse 13, where in our text, it reads like this. In the New King James, it reads like this. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. The New Living Translation says it like this. You have said terrible things about me. The Amplified puts it like this. Your words have been strong and hard against me. But the King James, the old King James, says it like this. Your words have been stout against me. Now, understand that the Lord is not crying. <laughs> He's not crying about it. That these guys are, are speaking harsh. It's, it's not like someone has gotten their feelings hurt. It's not like God is so sensitive that he's going, oh my gosh, you're speaking some harsh words against me. And I feel so like bummed out that you have said those things about me. It's not like anything like that. It's not like he's saying, man, you, you're saying some pretty terrible things. And it's really hurting my feelings. You know how people can get very sensitive? Because people can be harsh. Let, let me bring it down to our, our, our level, kind of, if I can, as I kind of look at all these things and, and the way I, I kind of translated it in my brain when, when I was reading all these different translations. It says, you're saying some brave, courageous, and gutsy things about me. That's exactly what God is saying to the children of Israel, whom he had just got finished, as we looked at last week, sharing some promises that if you really truly love me, if you, if you give to me and not hold back your tithes and your offerings, man, I will pour out so many blessings upon you, and, and you're not even going to be able to handle these things. 
I'm going to, to make you a blessing to all the people. And then he just turns around again in this dialogue, in this argument, in this debate that he's been having with the children of Israel. And he says, your words have been harsh against me. You, you've been saying some pretty strong things. You've been kind of getting a little gutsy there with me. In other words, you've been spouting off to yourselves and to others. And I hear these things. Those things that you say in secret, those things that you whisper to your neighbor about what I'm doing or not doing in your life. He's basically saying, I've heard those things. And you've been pretty gutsy about it. And he's not, he's not like challenging them, throwing down like, ah, oh, man, you've been talking smack about me. He's not, he's not really saying that. Like, he's just calling them out. He's, he's just saying, this is what you've been saying. Those things that you say in secret, I hear. Those things that you whisper about, I hear. And it's almost like he's saying, come again. Say that to my face. Almost as if he's going, if you're, if you're gutsy enough to talk behind my back, why don't you just tell me what you're really feeling? And it's interesting because this dialogue, this book that we've been covering, they kind of have been having this conversation with God that you're going, just stop, man, because you know you're going to lose this conversation. This fight is not a good fight. But they've been spouting off. You have been saying some gutsy things about me, and yet you say, what have we spoken against you? In other words, what are you talking about? The, the NLT, again, the New Living Translation, says, what do you mean? <laughs> what have we said against you? And again, it's almost like, are you, are you playing dumb right now? Or are you really not understanding that you've been talking some harsh and gutsy things about the Lord because you don't like the place that you're in right now and you feel like, God, you're not even coming through to us, coming through for us because you keep on promising, but you're not doing what you've promised to say. And when you say those things, I listen. And yet, when they turn around and say, what have we said? What have we said? And so here we go again. The Lord states the obvious because there is no reason for the Lord to be making this up that you've been saying these things. It's not like He's exaggerating to prove a point. Again, He's just acknowledging to them that He's heard what they've said. And He, and, and he reminds them in verse 14 you have said it is useless to serve the Lord. <laughs> I'm sure when he brings that across to them, they're going, jeez, I didn't know he was listening. I don't know if you've ever been hit up by somebody because you've been talking smack behind their back. You've been saying something and it gets to them somehow, some way. And they come and they hit you up and they say, Hey, you've been saying some stuff. You go, what? What are you talking about? And they tell you the same exact stuff that you were talking about. And you feel like, hmm. You feel this small going, oh my goodness. 
See, and God is basically, basically telling them, this is what you have said, that it is useless to serve the Lord. And what profit is it that we have kept your ordinances? Because we walk around like we're mourning before the Lord of hosts. The word useless can be translated vain. It is in vain that we have served the Lord. The NIV uses the word futile. In the Hebrew translation, it is defined as, it defines it as, as emptiness, this word useless. Vanity, falsehood, nothingness, worthlessness, as it's used in conduct. These were harsh words spoken by God's people against God himself. And it's almost ironic that they would have said those things in verse 14, that it is useless to serve God, that it prophesies nothing. We have gained nothing in regards to serving Him or keeping His ordinances. And, and, and the ironic thing is that the people, in a sense, were, were indicting themselves that they have just been going through the motions themselves. Because if they're saying it's worthless, then why do you keep on doing it? If you're getting nothing from serving me, why do you keep on coming to the temple? Why do you keep on bowing down and your heart is truly not in it? And so they're indicting themselves because of what they've been saying, that, that it is nothing but, but vanity. So in themselves because they continue to, to go to worship, because they continue to serve the Lord, it has been empty on their part as well. It has been useless on their part as well. There's no result. They have done this because they, they, they think, we're not going to get anything out of it anyway. And for that very reason, they felt like it profited, it profited them nothing to serve God. Because, because they gained nothing. There was no benefit to serving God. Because they had saw the prosperity of the proud and of the wicked, it seemed like they're going, what, what use is it if we continue to do what we're supposed to do, and yet we see everybody else prospering in our lives. And it reminds me of Psalm 73, where, where the people, they're, 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 they're complaining, why do the wicked prosper all the time? And they continue, they, they're, they're saying, we, we, we do these things, and yet nothing happens to them. It seems like they have, they have this happy-go-lucky go life, and we have these burdens, and all these things are coming upon us because we serve you, God. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way in your own Christian life because there's times that in our Christian life everybody else is getting ahead and we're not getting the promotion and it's probably because you're not lying and cheating like they are. And people get bummed out and going, is it even worth it to serve you, God? Because every time I do what's right, I never get promoted for it. I never get anything out of it. And you almost blame God because you have to be a goody-two-shoes 
as a Christian because you should, you're supposed to go by the rules. And these guys are going, we mourn, we walk around mourning all day long. And yet God is going, but you're pretending because it's not even in your heart to do it right. You, 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 you go through the motions, but your heart is so far from me because you're saying that it's useless, and yet you still do it. And so in essence, they felt that, that serving God, it, it, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth doing what was right if they were not going to prosper like the wicked do. But you see, they themselves presumed <laughs> that they had been faithful to God. See, and they're arguing with God. They're going, but we're doing everything right. And so they presumed that they were righteous, and they really were not. Because God sees through their phoniness. He sees through the motion that there was nothing behind it. They, they presumed that they were faithful to God because it seemed like they were carrying out His requirements, what He wanted from them because they were there every time they were supposed to be there. They brought whatever offering they had. It's like, here you go. They did what was required of them. They also pre presumed that they had truly repented of their misdeeds, of their sin. Again, going around as if they are mourning for the things that they have done wrong before God Almighty. You see, they truly understood that following the Lord would cost them something. They understood that they were giving up a lot to keep the ordinances of God. And they felt that they had humbled themselves already and they had not humbled themselves because they're talking smack about how useless it is to serve God. And it, and, and, it, and it kind of seemed that what it was costing them wasn't what it was costing them, it wasn't worth it anymore. It wasn't worth it. And I find this in, in, in our lives as Christians that when we first start walking with the Lord, man, we're ready to give up everything in the world. And then when, when, when a year goes by, five years go by, ten years go by, you're going, I don't, I don't know if it's still worth it. I, I, I don't know if, if, if I still have that, that, that desire to give it all like I used to. Because it just doesn't seem like, I, like I've gotten anywhere where I thought I would be or should be in my Christian life. And so is it truly worth it to continue to sacrifice, to give up what I need to give up just so I can keep my relationship with the Lord? Or should I lower those standards? Or should I kind of just kind of go back and do some of the things that maybe will get me that promotion or get me that, that, that person or that whatever it is? Should I, should I do those things because, God, you really haven't been coming through the way I thought you would come through? And that's where these people are at. That they, they, they thought that God had not been fulfilling His end of the bargain. We've sacrificed. We've, we've, we've counted the cost. We've done everything. 
We've kept their ordinances. We, we're going around mourning. And yet the proud, the wicked, they continue to prosper. And so because of that, Lord, it doesn't seem like you really like us or, or, or love us because we don't feel your blessings. And so they're subtly suggesting here <laughs> that God is not keeping his promises. Because obviously I should be in a different place right now, Lord. Right? Because I've been doing all that. But the problem, of course, was not on God's part. <laughs> Malachi's already written to us and shown us and demonstrated to us that God is only responding in accordance to the covenant that he made with the children of Israel back in Deuteronomy 28, hundreds of years later, that was still in, 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 uh, in um, it was still at work. Again, Deuteronomy 28, here's all the blessings if you do these things. Deuteronomy 28, halfway through, here's all the cursings if you don't do these things. If you obey, these things happen. If you disobey, these things happen. And so what, what God is doing here, He is actually just demonstrating, I'm only doing what the, what the covenant said because you haven't held, in, held up your end of the bargain. I'm holding up mine because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're not being obedient to who I am and what I've asked you to do. So the, the curses have fallen upon you and upon your people and upon your nation. You see, it always goes back in the OT to Deuteronomy 28. He set the standard there to say, if you obey me, this happens. If you disobey me, this happens. And so here they're indicting themselves that their, their heart was really truly not in it, even though they were going through the motions. And God's going, enough with the outward. I'm looking at the inward and nothing is happening. They desired a blessing because outwardly they looked amazing. Outwardly they were there all the time. Outwardly they could do it with their eyes closed and go through the motions. They can sing the song because they've sang it a thousand times. They know exactly when to raise their hands, when to bow down, when to get on their face. They knew exactly when all those things happened. They knew exactly what time prayer was, and they were there, and yet they were going through the motions because the people's hearts were not right with God. And so they can be talking a lot of harsh words. They can be saying a lot of harsh words because, because what they're really feeling, they're saying to their, their, their friends, but they would never have said it out loud. But yet they continue to be disobedient. And, and these people who are complaining are probably the same people who will have this narrow-minded legalism that would eventually lead to what the Pharisees looked like 400 years later. It would be those same exact people that it was all, all, all about outward and not about inward. It was these same people that were performing certain rituals and, 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 and rigorous activities and not doing other things and, 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 and basically patting themselves on the back because they looked so holy and so religious. Basically vindicating themselves before God. All the while stifling 
what God truly wanted to do in their lives. Because God was looking at the inward righteousness that he required, not the outward motion. And guys, we can get caught up in that all the time as Christians. Because we, it, it's all about the outward. It's all about the appearance. It's all about the facade. It's all about the, the good face that we put on. And we end up playing the hypocrite just like the Pharisees. And, and we look at other people that are not as good of a hypocrite as you and I can be. And we're saying, shame on them. I can't believe that they allow those things in their life. And we're so good at, at, at pointing other people's faults because we're so good at being a really good hypocrite. And that's these people. That's who these people are. That's who God is dealing with. And, and, and again, they want to be blessed. Because outwardly, they look amazing. <laughs> but inwardly, as Jesus said, they are dead men's bones. And, and, and so they say, so we call, because of all this, we call the, the proud blessed. <laughs> Ironically, the children of Israel in the days of Malachi, are still concerned about those wicked people, about those sinners that are out there. They're still upset, and, they're going, and, and, and sarcastically, they're calling them blessed, basically, in that sense. And because God has not punished them for what they've done, then God must be okay with sinners. Because these guys are getting away with murder. They tempt you, God, and yet they go free. Verse 16 says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. So, so it almost seems like from here on out, and again, there's not much of the book left, it seems like the debate is over. The argument is over. The dialogue that God has been having with the children, is, uh, uh, the children of Israel is, is now done. And now God through the prophet Malachi, responds to these people who feared the Lord. These people who quite possibly are the remnant that will hold on to these promises no matter what their circumstances are. If they ever prosper or not, they will hold on to these promises that God has given to them. The word then, in verse 16, is a very forceful, definite, and, and um, emphatic word, indicating that, that from here on out, whatever he's talking about is because of what he has just finished saying. It's almost like a but, <laughs> you know? All these things, but God. And so here he's saying all this has gone on with all our arguing throughout this whole book of Malachi. Then those who fear the Lord spoke to one another. And so, so the attitude is now kind of changed here. 
And it's almost difficult to tell whether this, this, this remnant here, these people who, who fear the Lord, if, if it's the same guys that he was arguing with before, are they the same ones or are they part of that group or are they a whole different group that now he is focusing his attention with? If in fact these two groups are one and the same, are identical, then it's quite possible that as God has been arguing with them, they finally go, we get it, we're guilty. You would have thought that when the argument first started in chapter 1, they would have just said, we're not going to win this. And they would have given up. But they kept on arguing throughout this whole time. And, and maybe that's why God has brought them through to this time to remind them time and time again of all the things that they have been failing in. And it's almost like God had to number off all these things by stating the obvious and they kept on fighting and hopefully, possibly, now by verse 16 of chapter 3, they've realized we're undone here. And now you can speak to us. But it's quite possible that it's a different group altogether. Because those guys may have continued being upset at what God has not been doing in their life because he has kept on letting them down. It's quite possible that this is now a different group that has not been speaking these harsh words, that has not been saying all these things, that have been doing what they were supposed to be doing all along. So it could be. So we don't know exactly who this group is. It would be great if these guys this remnant that he's talking to had repented of their harsh words and realized, Lord, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry that you hear my muttering. <laughs> so sorry, Lord God, that you hear my, my harsh words. I'm so sorry, Lord God, that I thought I was tough enough to stand up to you, and I'm not. I'm hoping that that's who these people are. <clears throat> but it says that these people who feared the Lord, they spoke to one another. We, we don't know exactly what they spoke to one another. But could it be, is it possible, is there any probability that they're talking to each other concerning these, this renewed perspective that they should now have of God's faithfulness? Because He has been faithful throughout all their generation, throughout the nation of Israel. You see, what they did have here, I know they're living in the moment, but what they did have was the writings of old. What they did have was a lot of history in the nation of Israel that he has come through for them time and time again. When they were in slavery, God came through. Oh, it took hundreds of years, but God came through. When they were taken into captivity, God came through. And even though they would suffer for many years, God was still faithful. When he brought them back from exile, God was faithful again. So they had history behind them that they could go, okay, we're going through this time that our forefathers have gone through. And so hopefully they're talking to each other and reminding each other of the faithfulness of God. And I think sometimes when we get caught up in our little pity parties of why am I not where God where I think God should have me, that we would comfort one another and say, then maybe we could just rest in who God is today. Because you can't change where you're not at right now. 
And sometimes, man, he allows things to happen in our lives and he keeps us there. And there's an old song that says, until we learn our lessons well. And then he moves us on. But when we continue to be harsh or, or bitter or upset because he doesn't have me where I think, then we can come to one another and speak to one another and encourage one another of the faithfulness of God. Because when God's people speak to one another, it says that the Lord listens from heaven. Now, it's funny because God listens to everything. He listens to harsh words. And He listens to when we speak to one another and we minister to one another. And I could almost guarantee you He likes the second one better than the other one. <laughs> I love it when my kids encourage one another instead of discourage one another. I, I, I love it when they uplift one another instead of tear down one another. I love it when they praise me instead of speak harshly about me. He listens from heaven. He always listens from heaven. He always does. And I know that oftentimes when we're praying and we're, we're going through our, 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 our things that we're going, Lord, where are you? And we think that it just reaches the ceiling. Understand this. He does not, it, it does not just stop at the ceiling. He always hears our cries. He always hears us. He's a God who always hears. Even when we think that he is not. He definitely is hearing from heaven. Their fear of God exemplified the response which God desired. Maybe from all this debating, from all this argument, from all this, this dialogue, that, that, that hopefully with, now that all that is done, they would get on with truly from the heart doing what God had required of them. I mean, it would have been better if they had never argued with God. But because they had that maybe all of this was meant for them to go through what they went through, to go, I don't need you arguing with me. I just need you to worship me. That's all I want from you. You know, it seems like this past week, as I've been studying all of this, I've talked to several people who are saying, I don't understand why God has me where, where I'm at right now. Why? Why? It's like, I don't know why. If I, if I had the answer, I'd be writing books about it. But I don't have the answer, except for the fact that maybe all of this is that, that through all of this, you can still praise Him instead of complaining about why you don't have what you have or why you have the pain that you do have. Maybe He wants us just to, just to be there and listen. He says, so a book of remembrance a scroll, if you will, was written before him. And, and, and to me, it's kind of almost understood here because of the way they, they fear God and they're talking to one another and God's listening to them. And I feel like he's, he's probably uh, encouraged, if God could be encouraged, of what they're saying. That he says, I'm going to write this down. Because as, as I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, I don't think it's a book of remembrance of all our dumb things that we do. 
I think God writes all the good things because it's a short book, for one. Because we're really good at, 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 at the other stuff. But when we do what is right, he said, I need to write that down, man. I'm going to remind him of all the good things he's done when he gets here to heaven. Look at the book. Look at all the things. Well, it's not a big book. Ah, there was a lot of complaining. But I love the fact that, that there was times that you worshiped me instead of complaining to me. And so he writes these things down. Even if it's a short book of all the good things I might do instead of all the complaining. He writes them down. And again, it's almost an assurance to us that he listens to us as individuals. Oh, he listens to us as a church and as a people. But he listens to us as individuals and he writes them down when we're encouraging and lifting one another up. When we understand that we are just to submit to him for who he is, not because we understand what he's doing. And I love the fact that he, he tells these people who, who, who are, are speaking to one another and he is listening, that he's write these things down, that they fear him, they meditate, he says in verse 17, and they shall be mine. Again, he's talking to these people in, in Israel, but, but again, we can, we can look at this and go, does that same principle apply to me today, Lord? And they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serve him, who serves him. One day, and, and it's interesting because that 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 phrase on one, on the day, he is speaking about the day of the Lord, which is still in the future. He's still speaking about that. But one day, he will make them his prized possession, his treasured possession. It says here, my jewels. But, but it's interesting because on that day, and we see a little bit here in verse 18, on that day, it will be a day of judgment for the wicked, but for the righteous, it will be a day of deliverance for them. And God will spare them. And he's telling them thousands of years ago here, as we're reading this, do what's right and I will spare you. Continue to do what's right and I will spare you. Because you are my jewel. You are my chosen one. You are so precious to me. Because in the end, when Israel is saved, as Paul puts it, in Romans, he says, in that time, in that day, you will discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one that serves God and the one who does not serve God. And it's interesting because people could serve God outwardly and God says, that's not service. It's not, it's not from the heart. And he is the one that sees from the heart. And in that day, they will all be able to distinguish that. Again, God will be faithful because he has always been faithful between what, what he's promised the righteous and what he has promised the wicked. Again, I, I shared with you how, how God had intervened with the children of Israel decisively in judgment and in deliverance 
again, when the exodus happened, man, there was, there was deliverance and there was judgment. When, 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 when the time of the exile, there was deliverance and there was judgment that happened. And on their return, a same thing. He is decisive in what he does and what he promises with judgment and deliverances. And when he calls them his, his own jewels, and again, I don't know much about jewelry and I don't know much about precious stones and stuff, only about stuff that I, that I read from commentaries and stuff because I don't, I'm not into that. But again, to make something that's a jewel that's, that's precious, it, it's stones that have been crushed and, and, and they've, been, they've, they've been in places that have been hidden until somebody discovers them. And so it's almost like in the midst of suffering, in the midst of, of being pressured throughout your life, in the midst of, of just being beaten down with, with doubt and discouragement, sometimes we don't feel like God's jewels. We don't feel that precious to Him because you're going, I can't believe the pressure that I'm in. And it's like, you don't understand what I'm doing in you and through you. Because one day, you will be shining. You will be so precious. Again, they might not have felt like precious in God's eyes or God's jewels, but, but their, feelings, their, their feelings didn't change the fact that God thought, thought highly of them, that He loved them that much, that they were that precious to Him. I've shared with you before that the, 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 the spiritual attitude of the, of the children of Israel at this time was at a very, very low point. Because all the promises that they had heard from the prophets had not come true. And Malachi comes on the scene and they are still not in a great place. And so they felt like, like what they were going through they were steeped in, 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 in just this, this, this weakness and this corruption that was going on in their lives. And so they didn't feel, they didn't always feel like they were that precious to God. And yet God's saying, it doesn't matter what you feel. It's about my promises. It's, by, it, it's, it's of the things that I've already said I would do in your life. Someone wrote this this stuff about that describes God's jewels or his treasured possessions like this. They are hard and durable. They are prized for their luster. They are prized for their rarity. They are made by God alone. They are of all different sizes, yet they are all jewels. They are all found all over the world. They are associated with royalty. They are protected. Some are hidden and undiscovered. Some are yet polished. <laughs> and he looks at us and he says, I see the finished product, though. I see it all. And, and, and there will come a time where, again, he's sharing with these people where you will discern between right and wrong. You, the, the righteous and the wicked. Again, they have been complaining over here. It's not worth it. It's useless. We don't see the product yet. He says, one day's coming where you will see it all. And I think oftentimes we don't see that in ourselves. We know our faults. We know our frailties. 
We know where we've come from. We know who we are. And we can disqualify ourselves in so many different ways because we don't measure up. And yet God already sees the finished product. He already sees the way you're going to be. He already sees from beginning to end. And that's the perspective that we need to have. Not that we would think any more highly of ourselves than we ought to, but that we would think and see with God's heart and with His eyes of how He views us. Because the enemy is really good at coming in and tearing us apart because we know ourselves all too well. And yet God already says, but they're mine. I'm, I, you know, we, we, we talked about the refiner's fire a few weeks ago. And in the midst of that fire, we're going, how hot is it going to get? And he says, until I can see myself through you. That's, and, and then, and only then, is when I will stop. <laughs> the future day of the Lord will bring about all of this. And I know that oftentimes people are saying, yeah, but the here and now, how do I deal with that? How do I deal with my own discouragement? It's not that anybody's saying anything about me. It's my own flesh. It's my own thoughts. And again, you have to have this, this different perspective of how God views you and not how you view yourself. It doesn't matter how you view yourself. It's how God views ourselves. When, when you find yourself in Christ and understand who you are in Christ, it changes everything. Because I could disqualify myself in a heartbeat. Give me 10 minutes and I will disqualify myself from all of you guys right now. But I also know the work that he's doing in me. And I have to go back to that because I could get very bummed out as, as to who I am deep down inside. And I think all of us can, can probably do that. Maybe not all of you. Maybe, maybe not you. But. but we can all disqualify ourselves because we know ourselves all too well. And yet God still views us as a precious possession in His sight. He paid a lot for you and I, didn't He? Why or oh why would we look at the way Satan looks at us or the world looks at us or even our own flesh if he sees us as his prized possession because we are, 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 are special in his eyes. One day in the kingdom, and I know that that's so far-fetched, but in the kingdom, the righteous will fulfill God's original intent, not just for Israel, but for his church as well. Chapter 4, 1 through 3, says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day, shall, the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. They that, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like a, a stall-fed calf. You shall trample the wicked 
for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Discouraged by the prosperity of the wicked, mentioning that it's useless to serve the Lord, the Lord needed to remind his people from verse 16 on, but getting into, ver- into chapter 4. He needed to remind them that that day is coming. The day is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. And guys, I can't even comprehend this right now because Malachi is writing this about 430 years before Christ would even be born. And he, yet he's talking about the day of the Lord, which is now 2,500 years and counting, and it still hasn't come. But he's promising them that that day is coming. Behold, the day is coming. And, 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 and even though it's so far-fetched because the day of the Lord, his second coming is way out there, yet he reminded us last week or a couple weeks ago, whenever it was, about the, 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 the messenger that he will send. John the Baptist, right? When we saw the beginning of chapter 3, he prophesied that a guy would come who would be a messenger who would prepare the way of the Lord before him and that wouldn't be for 430 years later when he was born, 460 years later until John the Baptist comes on the scene and starts saying, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So God is saying the day is coming 400 and some years later, he prophesied about John the Baptist and it happened. So I could guarantee you that when he says, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, which speaks about the day of the Lord, it will come, whether you and I see it or not. However, it works out. He is faithful. He is always faithful. He is never not faithful. Because when we've talked about the faithfulness of the Lord, and we've talked about it for this last couple of years, it seems like, as we've been going through the Old Testament, the faithfulness of the Lord, it reminds me time and time again that God is never in a hurry, but He is never late. He is never in a hurry, but He is never late. And God still has all of eternity to right all wrongs. He has all of eternity to to reward all the good. And yet these guys are complaining, but I don't see it right now. It's like you may never see it. But he has all of eternity to work with it. And that's where we end up being so frustrated because we want to see the judgments of God. And praise God that he didn't do that on you. But we want to see it on everybody else. And yet we need to understand that his faithfulness is, is, is everlasting. He is always faithful. His promises are yes, and they are amen, always. Whether we get to experience them or not. What he has promised, he will do. He says that, behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And so God promised a fire for his people as we were talking about a couple weeks ago. And he has promised a fire for the wicked. And understand, fire can be good and fire can be bad. (laughs) It can be used for good and it can be used for not good. 
There's a huge difference when we look at the fire, when he's talking about the refiner's fire in the people of God and what he wants to do. But we look at this burning that will happen that will be like an oven against the ungodly. He's all-consuming. He's an all-consuming fire. And he knows how to purify and he knows how to burn up to nothing, to ashes. He knows how to do that. He knows how to do that with the people, but he knows how to do that in our own personal lives. (laughs) Because there are things that he wants to refine and there are things that he wants to burn away. He wants to burn them away completely. All who do wickedly, he says, will be stubble. And stubble is the unusable parts of grain that as soon as you throw them in the fire, just the, the stuff that's all crumbled up, it burns up that quick. You will leave neither root nor branch. In other words, the day is coming when the wicked will have no hope of sprouting up to life again. They will have no hope. He he will take them down, not just to the root, but he will destroy the root as well. Because as long as there's there's a root, (laughs) there remains hope. And these people are hopeless at this point. All hope is gone for the wicked when this judgment comes. It says, but, in verse 2, but you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. And you will go out and grow fat like stalled fed calves. The son of righteousness. From, from, from early Christianity to this day, most commentators and most Christians have regarded this son of righteousness as Jesus himself. And in his wings, there are healings. And, and it's interesting because the sun doesn't have wings, but it speaks of perhaps the rays or the sun beams that, that, that are sent out from the sun. That, that that would look like and feel like healing, like joy, like wholeness in people's lives. That the sun of righteousness will appear one day. And once he appears, there's no more room for more light or warmth or healing, because he does it all. Wouldn't it be interesting that if in the heat of the day, the sun is out so bright that I would, you know, as we're gathered together, I would light a candle and people are going, what are you doing that for? It's like, well, I want to help the sun out. (laughs) To be brighter. And you go, you're foolish, Zeke. Again, when the sun of righteousness appears... (laughs) We don't have to help him in anything, man. We, our righteousness can, cannot add to his righteousness. We just have to get in under the rays, under the wings of who he is. And all of that falls on those who fear him. And again, I love the fact of how he has been doing this, going, here's the wicked, here's the ones that fear me. This is what happens to the wicked. This is what happened to those, those who fear me. And so again, it goes back to Deuteronomy 28. This is what happens when you are blessed. This is what happens when you are cursed. And it never fails. It goes back to that. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. It never fails. 
And so he says this about the, the righteous or those who fear him. Not only will they be hidden under the wings there, he says, but you will go out like a fat, stalled calf, fed calf. And, and, and it's almost like this picture. And again, a couple of years ago, Daniel and Lefty had these, these little goats, you know. And, and, and they just, you know, I'm sure when they were cooped up at night, man, they were like, eh. But as soon as you let them go, man, and they were like small, they're so cute. That, man, they're just leaping and jumping and frolicking. And frolicking kind of sounds gay, but they're, they're, they're just jumping and doing all these things. And, and that's what he says. Man, when you are freed up, you will go about frolicking like Christians. All joyful and happy because you're out and about and there's a joy that's associated with the son of righteousness. You're not cooped up. There's freedom in him. We get to go about and be free and enjoy the liberties of the Lord. We get to grow strong and prosperous in the Lord. The wicked, on the other hand, as we close up here, says, and they, you shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under your, the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. And as much as we would go, wow, that's pretty awesome, it's like, no, that's kind of sad. It's kind of sad, man, because I, I wouldn't want anybody to have to be reduced to ashes. But it will happen. He's telling the children of Israel here. No, I do. I, I, I do understand verse, verses 14 and 15 of the last chapter. I do understand that. I, I know that you think it's useless and, and there's no profit to it. I know that you think that you're giving up a lot. But these proud people that you call blessed and these wicked people that you keep on saying, they keep on rising up. And those people that, you, that, keep on, that keep on tempting me and you think they are free, they will be reduced to ashes. One day, they will be reduced to ashes. And so again, it's like, man, that we would have a different perspective. Guys, because the wicked might, may prosper, big deal, man. God has his hand upon that. If anything, that you pray for them, that, they, that the, the wicked would come to know Jesus <laughs> so that we can rejoice together. We should never be happy that there's people that are going to die and go to hell, ever. But it seems like oftentimes as Christians, man, we can go like, eh, we don't care as long as I have my salvation. And that's not the perspective that we should have. And so I understand that the people of, of the days, in the days of Malachi, they were in a bad place and they felt that the, that the Lord was not living up to his promises. But understand this, the Lord is faithful. Guys, he is always faithful. He is always faithful. And we have history to prove it. And I don't know how long you've been walking with the Lord, but I could guarantee you he has been faithful in your life time and time again. And I know that we can get to a point when we're in the depth of despair. Oh God, are you ever going to come through? It's like, guys, he will be faithful. Even when you can't see it or feel it. He is. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I know that we only have a few verses left, Lord God. And 
Lord, I know that, God, you, you, you want to speak to us through those verses, Lord. And so, Lord, prepare my heart for next week even. But for tonight, Lord, as you have shown us some, some powerful scriptures, Lord God, of where these people were at and what they felt at the time, Lord. And yet, Lord God, I think what you're wanting to, to show us, Lord, that it doesn't matter what we think or how we feel is who you are and your promises.